Hey everyone, and welcome to Code Rush with me, your co-host Jay George, and your other co-host Rob DeCourt. Hello, everybody. How are you, Jay? I'm great, man. How's life in the Netherlands? Good. The kids are back at school, which is a uh, yeah, gotta be honest, which is a delight. <laughs> they were home for six weeks, and my wife works for a boss, and I don't, so uh, I was a stay-at-home dad for six weeks, and now I'm. Back to full-time-ish working, and um, I like it. And you've, um, you've got a beer in your hand? I do, I do. Because you've just finished a project. Yep, I just finished a website, and um, I was thinking, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chat with Jay, Let, let's grab a beer. If there's any time to grab a beer is once you've finished a website. Or when you talk to Jay. <laughs> Every <laughs> podcast episode. Yes. <laughs> Rob's just blind drunk. <laughs> Are you drinking the devil's piss water again? I'm drinking good old regular British tea. Amber will be happy to know. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I'm stopping my coffee midday these days. So I have coffee in the morning and then either uh, your favorite green tea, Rob, or regular tea in the afternoon. Because after last episode where you op opened up about your terrible cholesterol levels, you informed me you switched to a drip machine. Yeah, which has so been good. Why, why, been why, give, why give up the midday coffee? I still drink coffee just in the mornings. Just uh, I, I ah, only okay. have like, a, I measure it out because the drip machine has a, a tank. So I know exactly how much I'm allowed and that's it. And I'm normally done by, or I've normally exceeded my allowance by midday. So that's why. Right, gotcha. Do you want to wanna get over to and start with the, the meat of this podcast, web stuff? Yes, let's do it. Let's web design. So uh, what have you been up to, Rob? Yeah, I, I, had, I had a few projects over the summer and I finished them all. And they were, um, it was easy work. And actually it was pretty cool because there were regular websites, um, nothing fancy, no fancy animations or super fancy designs, just a bit more plain designs and I really got to uh, reap the benefits of my own work. So I developed those sites like super quickly because of all the tools I, I have right now. And I actually, it actually looks like I'm, I might make a bit of money extra on these projects, which is, which is fun for once. Nice. I hope they don't listen to the podcast. No. If if you listen, client, this is not about your project, okay? Yeah. There's that famous quote by, I think it's Picasso. You know that quote where someone said, uh, I think like he used to be an artist on the street and someone went up to him and asked for a portrait and he did it super quick, like 15 minutes or something. And they said, oh, I'm not paying you that. It only took you 15 minutes. And yeah. he said, no, no, it, it's taken me 20 years or, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, because you can make it look easy when you know what you're doing. But the reality yeah. is it's taken years to get to that point. Exactly. I don't feel guilty about it in, in, in any way. Even if my clients would listen, it would be fine. Because it's, it's stuff I've been working on for years, right? Um, and I can only do it so fast because I've put so much time in it before I even met my current clients. So, and we, they pay me a fixed price. So it's, it's a done deal before I even start. So I feel completely good about it. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's more than fair. But also I'm, I'm kind of itching for a project that... Uh, out of your comfort zone? 
out yeah a little more out of my comfort zone where i have to yeah. do some more research and trial and error and that would be fun as well those are the ones you, in the end i enjoy most but it has to be a balance it's nice to during the summer when i had the kids at home at home it was super cool i could get these sites out um relatively easily and get food on the table yeah what about you nice man um i've been wrapping up our own site yes so that will be out by the time this episode is out which hopefully is um beneficial because we'll put all the notes on there and there'll be some i guess bonus content because we've got we've got like author profiles on there spoiler alert it's gorgeous thanks rob the website looks stunning yeah i hope so um so yeah i've been wrapping that up and wrapping up some other projects the one thing i wanted to mention that i didn't mention before was i had a bit of a interesting problem to solve one of the projects i finished recently had like an age gate thing on it like a you have to agree you're over 18 to go in because it's an alcohol product yeah and people under 18 don't know that they can click the i'm 18 button right so super safe well i think it's just like from a legal perspective they can i know say, i know we're good it's we're stupid good. <laughs> um and i'd never done one before and there were a few gotchas to it one was that um, the consensus was that Google is smart enough to figure out that that's not the homepage and not to index that. Because how does it work? You you land you land on the homepage. What what exactly happens then? So the way I've got it working, which is the way some people recommend it to me, is is that you basically cache the decision. And so if if they land on the homepage and uh, a cookie has not been set. Then it right. throws them. It throws them out to the age gate page, and that would be like an actual redirect, an, a different URL, yeah. or or some JavaScript. I mean the PHP route because I I always try to do it that way. But the problem I had was that uh, even though it's a, like a form with standard fields with just a tick box saying I'm I'm over eighteen, Google didn't recognize that it was an, a consent form, so it ended up getting indexed in the end. Oh, and really? yeah. So hat tip to Ryan uh, from Thought Collective, really cool agency. Really cool guy. Yeah, we like Ryan. Uh, he <laughs> recommended me this crawler redirect, a crawler detect. Let me fire it up. Uh, it says crawl detect is a PHP class. Oh, it sniffs the user agent? Yeah, exactly. Because I guess that's more reliable than normal user agent sniffing, whether it's a crawl or not. And so basically you can say if it's a crawler, then don't redirect it to the age gate. But that would have to be a thing you'd keep up to date, right? Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, it worked. So it, it sniffs the user agent in PHP. It assesses for you, is this a, a, a bot crawler or a spider or a regular visitor, right? To be completely honest, I didn't put too much thought into it. It was just recommended. So I used it and it seemed to work. Yep. I'm curious because from what I know, user agent sniffing is, is terribly unreliable because you, 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 can, you can literally change it in your dev tools, right? But this library probably keeps a list of stuff up to date. So it gets as accurate as you can get it to be. Yeah. I mean, it was last updated two weeks ago, which is pretty good. But I see what you mean. I'm going to need to keep it up to date myself. By pulling it Probably, in, pulling yeah. In updates, yeah. Which isn't too terrible. You can build your client. Yeah, 
<laughs> I mean, look, if worst comes to worst, then it's not going to detect the user agent and they won't be, uh, yeah, the robots will end up calling the, the age gate. But that was a cool thing that I learned, um, even if it's not 100% reliable. But, but how, how, do, how do you use it then? Um, if it's a Google bot, you redirect it to the homepage, something like that? Um, yeah, exactly. Or mm. I, put, I put a not condition in. So I said if it's not a, a Google bot, then go to the age gate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that seems fair. It literally took me five minutes to set up. So if I can do it, then it's easy. So you even wrote some PHP? Yeah, I, I can write some PHP every now and again. That's awesome. But a lot of these things, don't you think that you don't need to be able to write stuff necessarily? You just need to be able to understand it. So I can read it and sort of understand what it's doing. It's another thing to be able to write my own. But a lot of the time, that will get you there. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm definitely not a backend programmer, but in the Laravel ecosystem, I, I can get a long way with just pulling in a package, looking at the documentations. You don't have to be a diehard backend programmer to be, to be dangerous. But if it breaks... <laughs> if it breaks, I call Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Thank this, you, Ryan. This thing we you recommended you. to me. Yeah. It's, it's Help shit. <laughs> yeah, we love Ryan. Yeah, great guy. I forgot. I, I had a segue when I was talking about the, the Code Rush website. And the segue was about... Opening links in new tabs? Yeah, that's right. Which um, I have changed my opinion on slightly because I used to be a diehard, never do it, you know, mm -hmm. never break the user experience kind of guy. But I think I've come around a little bit to you should do it sometimes when it breaks the experience. So one, yeah, in developing a podcast website, one conundrum I had is if you if you want to find out about one of the guest hosts you would like click off to their website. So I put that on the bio, but because you're playing the audio file in the browser, then mm -hmm. you don't want to accidentally throw yourself off that. So I've just put it in for the, uh, the author bios. Everything else is your standard link affair. But one thing I do think, I don't know about you, Rob, but I do think you should definitely put like a little icon next to yeah, the link. Like the, the arrow arrow going out of a box icon yeah just so users know yeah i often do it i don't always do it um actually the article you shared which is which is from smashing magazine it's from 2008 it's called shoot links open in new windows i read that article i think over over 20 times over the past 15 years it's normally one of the ones i send to my clients <laughs> yeah but the issue is Sometimes I totally agree. And then I, for this one project, I completely go down that road. And then other times I don't agree or the client comes back to me and they're like, hey, why doesn't this link open in a new tab? And I just can't figure out if I agree with the stuff they're saying for multiple reasons. The point they make, which is super fair, is um, when a user is on a site and he clicks on a link, he wants to visit that page, right? He doesn't mm -hmm. want you to instruct the browser how that page should be opened. It should be up to the user. And if the user wants to open it in a new tab, they can open it in a new tab. That, that's like the gist of it. Am I correct? Yeah, it should be their decision. Yeah, it should be their decision. Right. So never, ever interfere like that. But on the other hand, if you read the comments on that article, I, I'm reading those comments and I'm also nodding. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get your point. People are like, what hey. Are the comments? 
for example, someone wrote there, hey, I'm writing an, a blog post on something and I'm linking to articles that complement the thing I'm writing about. For that reason alone, for that person, it made sense to, to do open those link in new tabs because they complement the thing they're writing. They complement the article they're, they're, they're writing. And I get that. Mm. And also, did this article is, is from 2008, which is not bad at all. But the things they're writing there, people may be making websites still don't follow the rules they're suggesting over there. So what does that do to people using the internet? People wrote in 15 years ago, hey, opening links in new tabs is always bad. It's bad for usability. But still, it kept on happening all those years. What I'm trying to say is, are these arguments still valid uh, now that clearly the web still works in this way? Like most sites still open external links in new tabs? That sprung to mind. I think it's still valid. Even though it was written in 2008, the fundamentals are still valid. They even say in their article, to their defense, they say every rule has an exception. Mm -hmm. And then they say that there are, there are some situations where you'd want to do it. And they say, um, what I was saying is that you should put in a little icon to indicate that. Yeah, I totally feel that one. Yeah, so I, th I, think, I think I still agree with this article. The big occasion where I notice it being a really bad user experience is on the phone. Because if you click a, a, a link on the phone and it throws you into a new tab, you don't really see it happening. You just like all of a sudden the back button doesn't work. Even me as a web developer, I have to think, oh, they must have opened it in a new you, tab. You, it's the only reason why it wouldn't work. On iOS, you do see a little animation, don't you? As far as I know. Jay is looking uh, at his phone currently. Yeah, I'm going to go to the Code Rush website to see. <laughs> no, you don't see an animation. You don't? No. I want to see this now. So if you go to... The secret staging site for Code Rush? The secret staging site, and then just click Amber's link to... Oh, yeah, but in the bottom, I see that... Oh, I have my address bar at the bottom, by the way, but I see... Yeah, I have mine at the bottom. I see the there's a, a new oh, tab at the, the bottom. But it's really... I agree, it's really... Uh, yeah, but you tiny. wouldn't... You wouldn't notice that. No. You wouldn't notice that. And you, you have to understand that at the bottom of, of Safari, it, it, it shows you like the second address bar to the left or right. By the way, when I'm browsing the web, I think 99% of the, all the links I encounter, I open in new tabs just by right-clicking and opening in a new tab. So I love that behavior. What I most love about doing it that way is that it opens a new tab in the background and it, it doesn't re replace what I'm currently looking at. And something else I was thinking about. Do you literally, do you literally right click or do you use command? Uh, oh, both, both. Yeah. I was going to judge you if you never used command. It depends on where my hand is, because currently my hand is oh, holding okay. a beer, right? So I, I, I would need to right click, open a new tab. Lucky it's holding a beer. I was <laughs> trying to understand where you were going with that comment. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Depends which website you're on, Rob. <laughs> it, okay. Which category of website you're on. Okay. Carry on, I was interrupting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But one thing I would like to come back to, because I think the argument they make is very valid that it depends on what the user is doing. For example, say like your example or their example, you're listening to a podcast and you don't want that to be interrupted. But that kind of throws the previous argument out of the window, right? Because previously we said, 
hey, never ever decide for the user how they want to open a link. Let them decide on their own. But all of a sudden, the user is listening a podcast and the user doesn't know that rule exists, but now you do interfere. So I find that, I find that a bit weird. But it's more like if, if it's going to have a negative point. So an, another example might be if, if you're in, in uh, credit card information or something and you've already completed three quarters of the form mm-hmm. and then you get thrown off, that would make you mad. It would. Like if, if you're in the middle of a written article and you get thrown off, then it's fine. You can just quite easily get back you know, to the previous position. You, you, you haven't put any work into it. But you don't even so know think, if the user I think is, the is listening to the podcast. It's an assumption. Yeah, but I think the, the icon solves everything. That's true. That's fair. I don't know. I like putting those icons in. It's a better mitigation. Yeah. Another exception where I always open links in new tab by default is uh, like social icons in a footer. How do you handle those? Oh, you do? I do. I probably shouldn't, um, but uh, I, don't, I do. I don't not know. I don't. Th- I think it's literally, this is the first time I've done it on the website that, for Code Rush. I've never done it other than that. And going back to my rule, if I was going to do it and put the little arrow at the box icon on it, then that would make the social icon look ugly. Yeah, that would be weird. Like a, a Facebook icon with, 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 those pop out, with a pop-out icon next to it. Yeah. yeah. So in which case, I wouldn't do it. Makes sense. No. Okay. Okay. I think we've done this to death. Yep. <laughs> um. <laughs> my hand is above the table, by the way. Good. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention in passing is in, again, like a, a Code Rush uh, tangent, is about masking images with the mask property in, in CSS, which you knew about, but I didn't know about. So if the listeners out there are ever trying to mask an image, like make it fade in or something, yeah. normally what I have been reaching for for years is just a pseudo element and then like put a gradient on there. Like from transparent to white. Yeah. And I mean, no one likes using pseudo elements, especially when you're trying to do like multiple ones and then you run out of pseudo elements. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst. It doesn't have to be a pseudo element per se, right? It could might as well be. Yeah, a... but you don't want to create. I don't mind. You could, you'd have to create a div, right? You'd yeah. have to create another element then. And, uh, I don't know. It's, it's not at the end of the world, but if there's another way, I would reach for it. And it just so happens to be that there is another way. It's masking with a gradient, right? With a CSS gradient. Yeah, but you still have to prefix it in WebKit, which is weird. CSS must. I think that they have they have support in WebKit. It needs a prefix in Edge, I think. Oh, really? You need a prefix in Chrome last time I checked. I only yeah, checked which day. would be Edge and Chrome then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you don't need it in Safari? Nope. You folks hear that? Safari is... And Firefox are uh, are ahead here. That's good. Don't look at me. I use all three browsers, so... <laughs> Last week, I uh, jokingly uh, called Jay a Chrome head, and he didn't appreciate it. But the, the, the irony is that I use a much more diverse set of browsers than you do, Rob, because you only really use Safari. I use Safari, Firefox, and Chrome. Well, I test my work in all browsers, so, th- mm. so, so that's something. But it, my, my go-to browser definitely is Safari, that's true. Uh-huh. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to talk about is... Yeah, in in uh, in redesigning code or redesigning in designing Code Rush, I also from there went straight to redesigning my own personal site. Which, how often do you redesign your personal site, Rob? Um, well, my current company 
this is the second side I have, like in six years, I think. Um, but I keep my stack up to date, which makes it super easy to uh, keep making changes, incremental changes to my site. And yeah, but that's easy. I'm I'm saying like the t- the tough thing of redesigning. Yeah. You know when you're not happy with it. Yeah, I've I've been there. I've done it once for my current current company. And but it I I had to because it was a WordPress website, and now I'm the static expert, so I should at least use that stack on my own side. I figured, so I just redid the whole thing, which also is a fun process to re- reevaluate a lot of stuff. But from that moment on, and I think when I started on my new website, you shared the article you're 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 going to talk about in a few bits, and it made me think I should keep my website that much up to date that it's fun and easy to keep doing changes because that's usually when i lose interest when my stack gets super duper outdated i lose interest and i don't want to do anything to my site anymore and that's changed with my new site whenever i make changes to to my starter kit i merge those changes into my own site so whenever i need to do something to my own site i know i'm working with the tools i like working with most right now and that that's been treating me good thus far but you recently designed, redesigned your website, right? I think maybe last year, beginning yeah, of last year. I think it's, year, it's, it's 18 months ago, something like that. Okay. I'd probably still be okay if I was you. I think I, I normally get an itch to redesign the site maybe every two or three years. And I feel like, you know, I've, I've done better work since and then I want to update my portfolio. Yeah, definitely. And in doing that, I think, well, I should probably update the aesthetics of the site just to better reflect what I do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the article I was going to talk about is there's quite an old article, a classic list apart article by Cameron Mole called Good Designers Redesign, but Great Designers Realign. So they're both quite similar words, but the idea here is that there are two thought camps when it comes to a redesign. So redesigners, like if you just want to redesign your website, is, is normally an emotional response um, to the aesthetics in justifying a a redesign. So he says in the article, you'll typically hear statements like these. It's been two years since our last redesign, so we need to do a redesign. Or our current stuff just looks old. Or some kind of thinly veiled justification like a redesign would bring new traffic to the the site. So so it's sort of like a gut. I I guess what I'm normally susceptible to... (laughs) I suspect is just just like all of a sudden wanting to redesign a site. And then there's the realign strategy, which is more objective. And it's more like thinking why you want to do it. So maybe aesthetic trends have changed slightly. So I don't know. Like remember that was a one time where flat design was everywhere. Yeah. Like everyone wanted their website to look and when I say flat, I mean like flatter than a pancake. Yeah. Like just no personality whatsoever. Yeah. Whereas realignment, I think, because I'm vaguely happy with my current site, but there's lots of little things that I want to change. And that's, that's why I think it's a good design exercise to take your existing site and not just throw everything out, not throw the baby out with the bathwater, mm-hmm. as they say, but just, just like focus on the things you like and just start changing things objectively. So as an example, I've got a set of colors, which I think are quite strong. Same for your website, Rob, like you've got like the green thing going on and you probably wouldn't want to change that in a 
in a heartbeat, right? No. But there might be other things that bother you. Like for me, I, I looked at some of the typography and I just thought it was it was too like text align center all the time, mm-hmm. uh, which which I think is a bit of a crutch. So I thought, well, how can I keep the aesthetics kind of the same, but get out of that, get away from that crutch. And it, it makes it a lot easier when you only change one or two things and it's a much more approachable task as a yeah i think it's a designer it's a great strategy but those things redesigning or realigning aren't mutually exclusive right i think you should iterate as much as you can on your on your current website but there's gonna be a point where you're you're gonna want to do it all over again i don't think you can not do that otherwise i would probably still have my 2006 site running on my proprietary cms with vanilla css and 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 ea6 hacks right i'm exaggerating but it's not one or the other and and that that's the feeling i got a bit from that article which which i didn't like but i do really agree and i i I do agree with the sentiment that don't throw away what you have but instead look at what you have and how you can easily improve that yeah i think like what you might end up doing over two or three iterations is if you look back compared to you know version zero then it it probably does look like a totally different site it's just a much easier task to approach yeah definitely think that i'm only going to change one or two things and also it gives you that classic constraint yeah and way easier to accomplish uh, with your daily tasks right yeah spend like an hour each month look at your site objectively see hey what can i do in one hour do that move on and do it again in one in another month yeah exactly so the the final thing i wanted to talk about in relation to redesigning is something i came across called copywork have you heard of copyworking no don't think so so copyworking apparently it's like a really old thing so classically trained painters like even you know, Leonardo da Vinci and uh, Picasso would have would have done this as an exercise. Their instructor would have told them to take like a really classical piece of art that they liked, that was maybe in an awkward technique that they're not used to, and literally just copy it. Right, copy it. Yeah, copy work is called copy. Right work. now, okay, I get it. And one of the things I resisted doing anything like that for years because I used to think it was beneath me, and I, I didn't want to. Uh, just copy someone's work i wanted to come up with something be, totally be creative yourself original. yeah but the reality is if you if you take a piece of work that you really like and just copy it what will end up happening is you, you'll start making your own changes just by by chance or it'll end up a completely different website yeah ex- exactly so so one of the things i've i've done in realigning my site is i found some layouts that i really like and i just wanted to copy those layouts it gave me a chance to play with grid as well because the new layouts are more kind of uh, graphic design grid based and yeah it's just ended up totally different to to what i've copied because i've i've changed the grid slightly to suit the artwork that i'm using and in the end i think there's there's no shame in in copying aspects of other people's work that you really like don't worry you'll you'll end up with something different at the end of the day i got to be honest i do this all the time especially when I have to design myself, which is, as we've talked about before, is a process I, I'm not the best in and I don't thoroughly enjoy. And then I get, get imposter syndrome and I think I, I, I can never design anything and I start looking at gorgeous designs and hack away in, 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 in some visual editor. Then at some point in that process, I, I look at what I've made and I'm like, this thing is completely new and I kind of like it. 
I don't, yeah, there's no shame in that. I think um, probably most folks must design like that. Well, funny enough, when I go into the agency I work for, I sit opposite the graphics designers. And I'm very fascinated because my whole career, I've, I've just been like in a silo. I've always been just like the web designer in the corner sort of thing. But I've always been drawn to graphic design. And I, I sort of catch a sneaky look at what they're doing sometimes. <laughs> And I'm telling you now, they rip off so much. Right. I'm looking at their screen. They're just like, um, they call it, I think, like inspiration collecting or something, which is basically like stealing. grabbing loads of examples <laughs> of really yeah. gorgeous designs yeah. and stealing stuff. But in fairness to them, as we're talking about, they end up with something totally different at the end of the day. They're just heavily influenced by great work. So I'm going to start stealing more stuff. And yeah, I, I, I think that's okay. And what I'm thinking about now, wh when I get at that point where, where I think, okay, I stole so much, but all of a sudden it's mine. That's where the design part gets more interesting because then you get to add stuff, fun stuff, um, little jokes, little animations. That's where I start to enjoy the process. Absolutely. And uh, actually, that's a good one because there was that famous Steve Jobs quote, wasn't there? Good artist copy. Great artist great steal. Artist steal. Yeah. Yeah, and the idea behind that is the same thing, where you copy something, but you change it significantly, so then it's it's stealing rather than just copying. I do have to say, I I, I really hope at some point I can finally <laughs> steal more stuff. <laughs> no, like I I don't consider myself a great designer, but uh, it would be awesome if it, oh, your stuff's really good, man. Thanks, thanks, thanks. But it would be great if at some point I could just open with a with a like a blank slate then it would just happen. But it's probably a pipe dream. It never happens. No. I'm telling you now, I've seen great designers and they steal stuff. So there you go. Don't feel bad about it. Okay, cool, cool. Next topic. What beer you got there? Another Affligen. Yes. <sighs> Affligen. Bastard. I'm going to call it Affligen. Affligen, I like that. Um, just before we wrap up the copy work piece, because it made me think about this, when I was reading in the news, probably the biggest pop star in the world at the moment, which I don't think you've heard of, is uh, Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. Right. Ring zero bells, except from the fact that you brought her up today. Unbelievable, man. I'm sorry. You live under your little Netherlands rock. <laughs> but anyway, she's, she's actually got into a lot of hot water over um, copywriting. Ah. A bit like Ed Sheeran when like, he keeps on going to these court cases. I know Ed Sheeran, if it matters. It was Coldplay as well. Coldplay got sued, I think, for something they did. Maybe Viva La Vida. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Anyway, it also, was interesting because... Also, Ed Sheeran is terrible, isn't he? <laughs> I quite like him. Really? I quite like aspects of him. Oh, it gives me a lot of itch everywhere. Yeah. Okay, well... Itch, I... Itchy music, but... We... You can take this out of the. <laughs> I can take uh, I can take him or leave him, but Olivia Rodrigo, I will defend to the death. That, that's cool. But actually, her her last album or her debut album, one of the well, the riff from the first track, which is called "Brutal," a lot of people accused it of being taken directly from an old Elvis Costello track which was called uh, Pump It Up. Mm -hmm. like basically, the, the guitar riff is, is almost the same. And what he said, he was actually one of the people that defended her. And he said, 
He said, this is fine by me. It's how rock and roll works. You take the broken pieces of another thrill and make a brand new toy. That's what I did. There you go. So I, I think that's kind of another way of saying everything's a remix, as I think the classic phrase. So uh, there you go. It's a direct tie from Code to the biggest pop star in the world. Cool little link, just in case. Really? She's the biggest pop star in the world? In the world? At the moment, I think so. Wow. She's massive. Never heard of her. Olivia Rodrigo. No. Nah, she's massive, mate. You hit it here first. That reminds me of, uh, of a clip I recently watched from the, the singer from The Darkness. Uh, uh, Justin Hawkins. Justin Hawkins. Ironically, I mean, they are definitely a niche band. But you've heard of him. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know how that happened, but that's the case. But I, I think he, he has a really cool YouTube channel, and um, he's extremely funny, uh, pretty smart, and knows a lot about music. He was talking about um, how all music today sounds the same, uh, actually backed by scientific evidence, like uh, melodies, chord percussions. Um, and, and he took Taylor Swift as an example, not, not to put her down or to say her music is bad, but... Um, like research that proved that all today's pop music is so super similar. And I think I kind of agree with that because that's how a lot of pop music makes me feel uninterested, like, like similar. And I thought it was interesting that, that, that there's actually a theory behind that. But um, total side note. Well, it's definitely, definitely a lot more manufactured than it used to be. There's some kind of stat, like it takes six people or six songwriters to make a hit, something like that. And even on the big hits by artists that claim that they're artists, there's always other songwriters involved. Yeah, and go visit his YouTube channel. He's great. Justin Hawkins writes again. It's cool. So, uh, Subgrid. Subgrid. <laughs> Let's get onto the news. It landed in Chrome, didn't it? It's going to come out in Chrome 117, which actually released two days ago as we record this. So it'll definitely be out by the time uh, this episode's out. So I think it's one of these things where I would now think it's safe to use this because, I mean, you and me had a little bit of a spat on this, Rob, <laughs> because um, th you said you've been using it. Yeah, I think it, it, it's one of the things I wouldn't use because it's layout land. So I think it's, it's more of a risk that way. Well, f first thing I, I would like to note is I, I found it weird that this landed so late in Chrome while they completely you know why? completely new out. APIs like every week. No, no. Do you know why? Tell me. Know why. I know why. It's because the way that it works, they claimed that they had to completely rewrite their rendering engine. Mm. So Chrome, at some point, okay. launched that a completely different rendering engine because they, they said it would make it too complex. So that's why it's delayed. But I believe that their rendering engine is much faster now. So every cloud. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah. So you've used Subgrid before. Yeah. But I've only used it in the last week or two. And I was really pleased that it was so simple to use. Subgrid is one of those things where when you read an article upon it, you just don't get it. Um, like two years ago, when it first landed in, in a few browsers, there, there was a lot of talk about it on Twitter, and I read some article, and it's like, what, the, what, are they, what are they talking about? I just don't get it. And in the end, it's like you say, it's super simple to use. You have, you have a grid with like vertical lines and there's a cell in your grid and the items within your cell you can place on the lines of your parent grid that that's that's kind of what it is 
what it can do. So let's say you have a bunch of cards, uh, three cards in a row that, that display news items. And each card has an image, a title, a date, and a teaser, and a link. You can make sure that within each card, the title aligns with the title of the cards next to them. And the teaser aligns with the teasers on the cards next to them. That, that's like a use case for subgrid. And it's super duper easy and really cool. Yeah, I'm going to link to um, an article in the show notes by Rachel Andrew. I always think she's like one of the grid people, you know, like you associate certain people with different technologies. Like uh, Ethan Marcart is responsive design. Uh, Jen Simmons is intrinsic design. And I always think Rachel Andrew is, I, th- I think she was part of the, the writer group when the spec was being designed. And she's got a really nice article on subgrid from the 12 days of web and a really great quote from her. She says, there are no new properties or values to learn, just a decision to make. Do you want your nested grid to have its own row or column definition or use the one from the parent? Yeah. So you're just deciding whether you, you're inheriting the parent or not. And, and that's literally as easy as it is. So I was delighted. Yeah. And, and that little argument we had, I think that's a very valid use case for progressive enhancement. Mm, I don't know. Layout. <laughs> And, and and one other thing I had to say, I'm, I'm always completely surprised with all the people you know in this industry. <laughs> you know who does what, who did what, and I hear these names and I'm like, who? Who are you talking about? Who's that? I don't know. I just use stuff. It's because you're not our masters on it anymore. <laughs> is that you it? You know nothing anymore. <laughs> I, all, all, all the info is leaked out of your head. Yeah, it's, it, that could be it. But uh, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with your wealth of knowledge, Jay. I'll take that as a compliment. Isn't Thank it? you. Yeah, you should. Okay, on to the next contentious issue, which is the Chrome privacy sandbox. I'm sure you've got lots of opinions on this, Rob. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, folks. Don't, don't, don't use Chrome. Come on, it's from the world's biggest advertising company that just doesn't give a tiny rat's ass about ethics, privacy, whatever. All they want to do is sell ads and they will find ways to sell ads when you keep on using Chrome. I read the article. I was like, yeah, of course they do next. But okay, okay. So, so if we try and if we try and look at both sides here. So what they're saying is that instead of uh, companies, when you load their, their website up, asking you cookie permissions, blah, 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 and, and basically taking liberties, they want everything to go through the the browser level um, permission set, right? So yeah, and they present that as a privacy improvement, right? Well, the idea behind it is good, okay. But a lot of people just don't trust it because it's Google. However, in related news, I don't know if you saw, but Firefox is doing something similar, which they call global privacy control. Did you see that? Uh, no, no, I didn't. No, but I, I can imagine it being similar because Firefox doesn't sell ads. Yeah, but it's the same idea in that. Um, so what they've said is requiring the people manually express their rights for each and every site they visit is impractical. And so they're proposing a global privacy control where you set your decisions in, in the browser and then it handles all that rather than 
having to having to agree or not agree. And that's that's a good thing. Bloody site you visit. But is, isn't that the same as the privacy sandbox by Chrome? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because they... So Google got completely dealt a giant blow by Apple, right? Because Apple started blocking all those third-party cookies in Safari, uh, which didn't make them happy. So now Google is like, hey, we are going to go all in on that. But no, fuck. I don't know how to explain this, Jay. Let's summarize it like this, that... We know that Google is trying to present themselves like they're they're being the good guy here by removing all those pop-ups and streaming everything through the browser level permissions. And Firefox has come up with a, a similar policy, which is just in draft at the moment. Okay, so they haven't rolled it out like Chrome has rolled it out. But the crux of it is that no one trusts Google with what they're doing. But it's because... Because they're shysters. It's because what they present as a privacy feature, they're actually launching that Topics API, which is basically the, yeah. the, the browser on a, on a browser level spying on you and selling ads to you. So what is the privacy gain here? I don't think it's there. Yeah, I'm not sure it's a privacy gain. It's more like... Yeah, let, let, me, let me read a tiny bit here. Okay, you can read. You can read. Yeah, there you go. It, it's as simple okay. as this. Rob's, Rob's ready. It's as simple as this. Google wants to get rid of the third-party web cookies because everybody hates them yep. now, and Apple blocked them like yep. three years ago. So now it proposes their Federated Learning of Cohorts API, which is basically the same, but it's the browser tracking you instead of the cookies on individual websites. So App- Apple and Firefox have just blocked them totally, whereas Google is saying, no, 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 they're still going to exist, but we're going to deal with them instead of... So, so they're, they're trying to present it as the same user experience. What Google wants to do is they want to track you via the browser and not via individual trackers and websites. Um, and they yeah. present that very thing as a privacy gain, which is kind of ridiculous because they will keep on spying on what you do and sell ads based on your browsing behavior, which is exactly what people don't want and what Apple is blocking and what Firefox is blocking. It's, it, it's just they're, they're in a corner and they come with something new to invade your, your privacy. That's what they're doing, which is why I think like ARS Technica tells you, hey, st- stop using Chrome now because they won't learn. But neither of these things will get rid of the cookie pop-up notifications, though, will they? Because you still get them in Firefox and Safari. It's just that they don't, they don't work, right? True, yeah. Even if Chrome does this, it'll be the same. It still won't get rid of... Well, it, it would be worse for Chrome users, I would say, because it now all happens on the browser level. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll include... In the show notes, we'll include a link on how to turn that off. <laughs> Yeah, if if you can actually turn it off. I don't trust them that Toggle actually works. I don't know. The whole Chrome browser is there to sell ads. That's their business. And they will go out of their way to invade your privacy, to sell personalized ads, to sell your data, whatever you do in that in that very browser. So please, folks, stop using Chrome. I think those toggles would work, though. I think it's more like they're betting on people and not going to bother doing that. Like us developers would do that. We would go into the settings and turn that off. But, you know, the best, the best thing to think about is 
what the people at my workplace would do. If I tried to even have the converse, this conversation with the, the people at my workplace, they would start rolling their eyes, go make a cup of tea. Yeah, whatever. Toss. And most people are like that. So Google will just do this, even if the toggles do turn off all the stuff. They're, they're betting that 99% of people won't do that. Even their private browsing mode didn't used to do what they advertised it would do. They lie to you. It's in their freaking DNA. Yeah. Can't use one hand on incognito mode, can you? Like, <laughs> no. Can't trust it. You can't trust them. No. Uh, okay. Well, that's that. I mean, I think pretty much the web community is aligned on that one anyway. Yeah. Um, a couple of other things just to mention. Although we don't like Chrome, they're coming up with some really cool tools for <laughs> debugging. Yep, yep, yep. Um, you can debug view transitions now in the animations panel because you can, uh, in, in dev tools, you can click on the, the pseudo element that controls the view transition and sort of like slow swipe on the animations panel and you can see it, it going into the next, the next screen. So that's really handy. And also um, they've got a scroll animations debugger panel now, which is, I think, a plugin. Uh, it's an extension on the Chrome store, but it will basically give you an extra panel to, um, to see how scroll-driven animations are working. They really want to keep you using their browser, Jay. And they're doing a great job at that. I will I say, say, yeah, yeah. They, they do a very good job of courting the developer community. Yep, they do. That's my cat. Because even though, like, yeah, I wouldn't use Chrome as a daily driver, as a developer tool environment, especially for front end, it's really quite amazing. What is your daily daily browsing driver then? Firefox on desktop mm-hmm. and Safari on iOS. Yeah, because you get, you get WebKit rendering anyways on iOS. Yeah, and Safari is faster on iOS than third party, right? Because they give them like special privileges. They give themselves special privileges. They used to, at least in their JavaScript rendering engine. I don't know what they do today, but any browser, I mean, Chrome on iOS is just a privacy invading shell surrounding WebKit. Right, exactly. The only reason you would use it is to sync bookmarks because you use Chrome on desktop, I guess. Mm -hmm. I actually do prefer their interface as well. Yeah, maybe a personal thing. Th- that is personal. I don't, but um, it's probably because I'm just used to using Safari. I'm curious what what map app do you use on your iPhone? Do you use Google Maps or Apple Maps? Or I always try and use Apple Maps at first, partly because I think it's much prettier. Mm-hmm, and definitely, I mean, it never used to be that much of a gap, but Google Maps now is is really cluttered it doesn't it never look used good. to be so bad it used to look good at one point but now it looks horrendous so i'll try and use apple maps but there's always like a part of my mind that doesn't fully trust it and sometimes it throws me off somewhere different so i always have google maps as a backup it's like the, the icon to the right of it <laughs> right let's try next i try to like apple stuff i know you think that i veer towards chrome but the reality is i want to like apple stuff and if Safari had better dev tools, I would use that as my, my developer. I totally memory. get you because of, of the way you work and how you design and develop in the browser. You, you, you're reliant on those tools and, and Apple simply doesn't give them to you. I get that. Well, basically, Chrome is the only browser that has workspaces where it saves it back to your disk and it remembers that choice. None of the others have that. 
and that and, and that's what you use yeah so yeah that's the biggie okay okay i think that's a wrap up i think that's a wrap up thanks folks for listening what you could do is check out our new website which jay handcrafted over months of hard labor and he did a splendid job check it out on coderush.dev you can follow us on mastodon it's coderushpod at mastodon.social i think and if you want us want to leave us a note want us to talk about something specific please let us know and thanks for listening thanks folks see you next time bye bye